Hi, you're listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. Today's podcast features Sam Metz, a Fulbright scholar who was based in Tangier in 2017. The podcast was recorded at the Tangier American Legation on December 15, 2017. Following up on an earlier presentation at the 2017 annual Fulbright Symposium entitled Spreading Awareness or Stealing Stories, How Sub-Saharan Migrant Networks in Tangier Perceive and Act Toward Outsiders Who Rely on Them for Information. Sam Metz of the University of California at Berkeley spoke with Talim Director John Davison to share some of his research. Having spent the final months of his fellowship in Tangier's peripheral neighborhood of Masnana, living among the migrant communities, Sam offers unique insights into this timely and important theme. Good afternoon, Sam, and welcome to to Talim and the American Legation. Thanks for having me. Um, Sam, I, you, I, uh, we've known each other for a few months, and, and I know that you've changed your research focus considerably, in fact, since arriving in Morocco. Um, I wonder if you might take us back to what you initially planned to uh, research uh, when you started your Fulbright program, and um, mention some factors that influenced your decision to redirect the focus. Um, yeah, sure. But I've known you for, I think, two years now, because you wrote me my original affiliation letter. I do, and I remember your original research proposal going back then was, uh-huh. was, was, uh, was a bit different. from Because I've actually applied for Fulbright twice, and I failed the first time. Um, so if anyone's listening, apply again. So um, I studied abroad in Senegal in 2014, and I was studying Sufi brotherhoods who were facilitating rural to urban migration. So from villages along the Gambian border to Dakar. So I wrote a Fulbright proposal based off that, and I wanted to see how Sufi brotherhoods were modernizing and facilitating migration through Morocco to Europe. Um, And uh, that was pretty niche, I would say, and it's something my mom would scold me for being too academic. Uh, And I did a year in journalism, and my interest pivoted to be a little more public facing. So when I got here, I really just wanted to follow stories and I wasn't Mm -hmm. very concerned with that theme. Um, And when I got to Tangier, I think that it was very difficult in retrospect to gain trust of migrants and people that I wanted to be interviewing. I didn't really want to interview politicians, policymakers, Mm -hmm. activists. I really wanted to just interview everyday people um, for my research. And when I found that it was so difficult to kind of gain their trust and embed in these communities, I really became more interested in um, just embedding in a very small segmented community and following the stories that I would find there. So um, that's how I decided to go about doing it. Now I'm working on a small neighborhood on the outskirts of Mm -hmm. Tangier called Misnana, um, and I am following all the social dynamics that happen there kind of in complement to each other and... Were, were, were those initial challenges you talked about, about trying to settle in and earn trust, 
were were those factors that, um, that led you to to move from closer to the historic center of Tangier out to the the neighborhood of, of Masnana? Yeah. So when I moved to Tangier, I wasn't really sure where my research would take me. And about two months in, I realized that I wanted to research two neighborhoods outside of Tangier called Masnana and Bukhalif. And um, they're very connected because a lot of people who now live in Masnana used to live in Bukhalif and following some things that happened in 2014 and 2015 moved to Masnana. So I decided to move in order to be closer to that. And I think um, more generally speaking, Tangier is a city of over a million people. It's mm -hmm. developed extremely quickly over the past decades. And there's a lot of stuff happening here outside of the Medina and Centre-Ville. Yeah. But, but you, men you mentioned uh, a while ago that, that there are communities both in the f neighborhood where you first lived in the historic Medina, migrant communities, and, uh, and obviously there are much larger migrant communities um, out in Bukhalif and Musnana. Did you, did you find, uh, did you observe uh, differences between the, demo uh, the demographics of of the communities in the historic center vis-a-vis -vis those living on more in the outskirts, the newer neighborhoods? Yes, I think in the newer neighborhoods, the migrant population is a lot more marginal. So mm -hmm. in Misnana, a lot of migrants are living on this hill, kind of just behind this um, roundabout where all the grand taxis come and the police station is, and it's a little bit separate from the rest of the community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people stay at home all day or they sleep late in their apartments and they're not really integrated well into the social fabric of the rest of the city. Whereas I think in the Medina, it's not like that. A lot of the migrants I know who live in the Medina frequent cafes and I think live right. more integrated lives. But they're, but they're both parts of greater Tangier and uh, which kind of leads me to what we talked about of your selection of Tangier as a city. There's a certain mythology, a well-known mythology of Tangier as being an a international city going back millennia. Do you think that uh, with both the, in the new neighborhoods and the historic neighborhoods that the communities here chose the city of Tangier? And, or did you, do you see the presence of migrant communities here as part of a, a continuum of this uh, idea of Tangier as an international city? Well, I think Tangier is a very unique place because it is a city of over a million people and it's only 14 kilometers across the Strait of Gibraltar to Tarifa. And it's close to um, Morocco shares the only land border in Africa with Europe. So I think it's this large city near a border and really in Europe there isn't any city like that. A lot of people want to study Tunis, which is close to Italy and Malta or Tripoli. Um, but in Belarus, Ukraine, Greece, um, Turkey, there isn't really a big city like this, this close to a European border. So I think that that geography really defines Tangier. And then the history of Tangier being this cosmopolitan international place, I think definitely I see in research among migrants. Well, I find it very interesting that in the media perceptions of the migrant community in in northern Morocco, there's sort of a narrative of large numbers of migrant communities who are uh, camping in forests, living very rough. Um, but what you're describing also is a, is a community that 
lives in neighborhoods, albeit peripheral neighborhoods, but they live in neighborhoods. They have, I assume they have social lives and social networks within those neighborhoods. Uh, and I know that you focus more on the city. How would you, did you draw any conclusions about the, the kinds of choices maybe made by the, by your, the people you, you came to know um, as to why they settled in the, in the city of Tangier as opposed to uh, communities that perhaps uh, fit a, a certain narrative of, of uh, a European narrative of migrants living in forests and waiting uh -huh. to, to, to cross over? So that was, let me try to go through sure. those questions. Those elements. <laughs> I think first of all, I think when we're talking about migration, choice is a very iffy concept because yeah. You don't want to say that migrants aren't making choices. You don't want to disenfranchise them. These are people who are very acting on their own terms. And I think it's important that we realize this, but in a lot of ways, people are also victims of circumstances. Mm -hmm. So I think balancing those two opposing concepts in mind is really important. So to answer your question, why people move to Tangier, I think a lot of people move here because it's close to Europe and they want to plan a crossing attempt, whether it be across the Strait of Gibraltar via Zodiac boat or in, at, near Ceuta, um, near the forest. or But I think most people move here because they don't really know what they want mm -hmm. to do. In my observation, right. they might want to regularize and stay in Morocco. They might have friends or family here and it's, they go where they know people. So I think it's very, um, people are here for all sorts of reasons, which I think parallels, that's not just the case when it comes to sub-Saharan African migrants. I think most people who live anywhere are there for a wide variety of right. reasons that have to do with choice and also don't have to do with choice. Um, what about networks? Because you, you talk about the, the networks amongst the migrants themselves, but I know that there are social support networks both within the community as well as from NGOs and, and other uh, civil society actors, do you think that the the presence of such, whether informal or formalized support networks, is an element to why perhaps some people have, have selected to base themselves in Tangier? Yeah, I think there's a very strong Guinean community here, a very strong Cameroonian community here, a very strong Ivoirian community here, and a very strong Senegalese community here. And a lot of people who come, come because of that. And when they find their first apartments or their, I think their network mm -hmm. is a place where they consolidate strength and find meaning. And I've observed a lot of, I think, beautiful situations because of that. And I think one of the things that you said earlier was about um, kind of this forest narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think... Um, I want to talk about that because I think that talking about networks runs against that because people find strength in networks and they're not kind of on their own, just victim of circumstance. Um, I think that it's important to recognize people's, um, the struggles people face, but in Tangier, I think in these neighborhoods, I have found a lot beside that suffering. I think I, in face of suffering, I see a lot of strength and I see people living 
lives I can very much relate to. I see people on dating apps. I see people wanting to go to the gym. I see people um, watching soccer or keeping up with TV mm-hmm. shows. Uh, so I think um, a lot of what I see on a day-to-day basis isn't doesn't align itself with this forest narrative because... First of all, it's boring. I think a lot of people who don't have jobs pass their time in very boring ways, mm-hmm. non-sensational ways. And second of all, I I have a lot of respect for the people who I'm researching, and I don't see them as victims, a hundred percent. And there and there's an an element of of efforts. I think what you're saying to establish permanence not necessarily permanence for the next the rest of one's life but some sort of control over one's existence while one is here a sort of permanent structures permanent friendship networks permanent other types of networks and i wonder you i wonder if if you've you have worked and you have looked a bit at both communities both members of the commu- a migrant community who still aspire to migrate into Europe, as well as members of a community who've either come here with Morocco as a destination or who have, since having arrived here, decided that they're going to stay, maybe regularize their status. Um, was that something new for you when you that you were expecting before you came, or was it just a, a, a different element to the research that you decided to focus on? So a lot of migration scholars in Morocco like to constantly restate this idea that Morocco is at once a point of departure for migrants, a point of transit, and increasingly now a destination. Mm -hmm. So I think I knew that I was going to find all three of those things and see them clash and complicate one another. I think that when I got here, I was very surprised by how few people wanted to stay in Morocco. It's very hard to find um, a migrant from a sub-Saharan African country who will state unequivocally that they want to stay in Morocco for a long time. Even people who choose to regularize or attempt to regularize, their intention isn't necessarily to stay for a long time. But I definitely know people who do want to stay and live very um, or, or productive who, lives. Or people who have, have stayed but didn't necessarily come here with the intention of staying. Yeah, and people who have regularized and have very steady jobs in the formal mm-hmm. economy and nice apartments. Um, I know a lot of students as well um, who are here on student visas. I know a Senegalese doctor. So I think what I'm trying to say is there's a very diverse portrait of sub-Saharan African communities here in Tangier, and um, I've been surprised by that. Maybe it's time to revisit the term um, destination country because it seems almost as though destination country implies that um, it's a country where you leave country A and you intend to arrive in region X or country Z, um, but in fact, a destination country can shift something can become a destination country, even if it's not the goal of someone departing his or her home country uh, with any intention of, of, of staying in, in a country like Morocco. It, factors change and decisions and choices. 
I think that's different. definitely true. I see a lot of people who are very open to staying in Morocco. If they find a job, get papers to stay, they would love to stay in Morocco. But uh, we're, we're uh, recording this overlooking the Strait of Gibraltar. Uh, and at the end of the day, the, 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 the narrative of crossing the strait has been a narrative for millennia, um, going back to the Carthaginians and the Romans and Portuguese and British and Moors and you name it. Um, and so you have to talk a little bit about the whole idea of crossing the strait vis-a-vis -vis migrants and, um, and the communities you've been working with. Yeah, sure. So... From Morocco to Spain this year, I think there's been somewhere between 15,000 and 20,000 crossings from kind of anywhere from Tangier to Nador, um, to in Spain, anywhere from Cadiz to Almeria. Mm -hmm. So I think most of these people are moving through Tangier at some point. I also just read on Kifesh that there have been 50,000 people arrested um, near the coastline um, mm -hmm. before they attempt border crossing. So I think because of this, it occupies a very large part of conversation in everyday life. Um, a lot of people in my neighborhood are coming back from a failed crossing attempt or talking about people who have successfully crossed or they are preparing to cross. Um, there's a lot of people who are inflating Zodiac boats um, making sure they don't mm -hmm. have holes in them um, and organizing their trips with kind of the guide or the auto mafia or, you know, I think that the story of migration is very much in the mechanics of these crossings and I've definitely learned a lot about that. And Even if the particular body of water might be the Mediterranean more than the Strait or even the Atlantic more than the Strait. Yeah, um, I don't really distinguish between... Those I, you know, I think people in Tangier are looking for the place to cross that they think gives them the best chance. And mm -hmm. a lot of times the shortest point um, between Tangier and Tarifa is very um, surveilled. So they choose to depart from Asila or they choose to depart from between Tangier and Tetuan. But a lot of those people are still basing their operations mm -hmm. in my neighborhood. And I hear successful stories and I hear a lot of really frightening just terribly sad unnecessary mm, stories sure. as well well there's another image besides the strait and that's the fences between uh, Morocco and the enclaves of Ceuta and Melilla um, that is quite visible the imagery of that is quite visible again in the media do you did you have a feeling that Perhaps that's a bit exaggerated that it's the it's the water crossings that are yeah. in fact of more interest to most of the people you've spoken to. Definitely where I am, um, these water crossings are more interesting. I mm -hmm. think the people who end up going near Ceuta or Melilla are the poorest people because organizing a water crossing attempt costs money. Um and anyone can go and try to climb the fence. Um mm -hmm. so I think that where I am, that is definitely more important. But I also think that if you look at the numbers, the number of people who are crossing via boat is much higher than the number of people who are crossing via fence. And I think what bothers me about people overemphasizing the, this barrier climbing is it's not really about the people 
who are crossing or the people in Ceuta or Melilla or the people in Morocco. Mm -hmm. It's about this larger story of Europe and the European Union. And I think it's important to focus on the people who are directly affected by mm -hmm. this in these places. Sam, you're an, you're an American researcher living in um, Tangier. Obviously, in the United States, the big migration issues are, are not uh, much focusing, too much focusing on Europe. They're much more related to, to border crossings within the United States. So you're an American here. The, the, the narratives, the people who write the narratives, the, the opinion makers, the, whether they're the media, the, the politicians on either side of the spectrum, the media on either side of the spectrum, the aid workers, the humanitarian uh, workers, the NGOs, the associations, the migrants themselves, their advocacy groups, their, their own activists, um, researchers like you. Um, you've told me before that that's become a, a really interesting area of interest to you, this nexus between the actual yeah, people definitely. and all of these other groups. Mm -hmm. Have you drawn any conclusions about that? Is that something you want to focus on in perhaps future research? Yeah. So I think, first of all, when the conversations about migration, if they're about border crossing, are usually not, are usually misdirected because most of the people who get to Europe from Africa are not crossing illegally. They're flying. Or most of the people who are getting into the U.S. are not kind of traversing the Sonoran Desert in Arizona. They're getting there via very normal means. And I think also there's this statistic I like, 80% of migration in Africa stays in Africa. So it's not focused on Europe. Um, At least 80%. Yeah, yeah. uh-huh. There are 3 million Malians living in Africa outside of Mali, mm -hmm. um, for example. So I think with journalism and aid work and academic research, something that I have found very interesting is that the success of these endeavors very much depends on migrants voluntarily sharing their stories. And it's hard to ask people who are very much in need to give something for free. And I think that the ethics of journalism and academic research, in order to maintain objectivity, you can't pay people. But a lot of people see these interactions in very transactional terms. Mm -hmm. If they're going to share their story with you, they are going to expect something in return. And I think um, that was very difficult for me at first to understand. But I think now the way I think about it is there's this larger industry or ecosystem that we're all a part of. And if you want to be employed as an aid worker, it depends on this situation sustaining itself. If you want to um, write a cinematic award-winning story as a journalist, you need to find a kind of very dramatic, gory story. So you're really depending on these people's misery in a way that is very disconcerting and not always stomachable. Um, and I'm really interested in how different people negotiate that and justify themselves and approach things compassionately um, and what the limitations to that are. Or hostily, if you're writing a narrative about the victimization of people who lose their jobs in Europe or, or the United States, it, it does go both ways in terms of the political spectrum where people will take 
an idea that they have and then maybe look for evidence that bolsters one side of a story. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I would much rather, yeah, I definitely have seen that on both sides. And Is I it a future research theme, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think that it's really important not to, the story of migration isn't just, you can't really study migration by studying how migrants move across different countries and across borders if you don't study the people who are creating the security infrastructure to do so. And I think it's important to study the larger infrastructure and the people who have power. And I think a lot of the times the people who have power are journalists, researchers, and aid workers. I mm -hmm. don't think that they think of themselves in such a way, but I think that they do have a lot of power. And it's important to reverse the let the lens and the scrutiny on and think about their ethics and what they're doing. So we might have an excuse to welcome you back to Tangier in a few months. Yeah, I would Inshallah. love to come back. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present podcasts. Other episodes are available on our Talim website, www.legation.org, and the AIMS website, www.themagribpodcast.com, as well as on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Podbean.